You're listening to ReachMD XM157, and this month's special series, Focus on Children's Health. Can very low birth weight infants develop normally? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Heidi Feldman. Dr. Feldman is the Ballinger Swindells Professor of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics at the Stanford University School of Medicine and the Medical Director of the Development and Behavior Unit at the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital in Stanford, California. Today we are discussing what we're learning and what can be done to improve the neurodevelopmental outcomes of infants born prematurely. Welcome, Dr. Feldman. Thanks for taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you for inviting me. You've been interested in neurodevelopmental catch-up for children born prematurely. What's been learned from neuroimaging studies? Neuroimaging studies have shown us some of the injuries that explain why children who are born prematurely have difficulty with their development over time. Are certain areas injured more frequently, more susceptible to damage? We've learned recently that the white matter of the brain is an area that is particularly susceptible to injury after premature delivery. As you know, the gray matter of the brain are the cell bodies in which many computations take place. The white matter of the brain represents the connections among areas of gray matter such that information can flow across the brain. So it's the white matter that is particularly vulnerable after a premature delivery. Is there a correlation between changes on neuroimaging study and catch-up development? Can you actually see the changes that you're visualizing or experiencing clinically? Many of the techniques that we're now using to study the injuries of the brain are actually so new that we can't really answer the question that you're asking about the correlations between the degree of injury and outcome. Let me give you a little background on this. When I was a resident back in the very late 70s, it was the beginning of the era of looking at the brain in children born prematurely. And in those days, the only option we had was ultrasound. Ultrasound taught us a lot about hemorrhages in the brain of babies born prematurely, but that was really the absolutely best that the technique could teach us. Since that time, we've had the development of magnetic resonance imaging, and these days, many babies actually have MRI scans prior to discharge from the hospital after a premature delivery. The brain undergoes a lot of development after the neonatal period, and some of those changes are actually better seen later in life when white matter is more mature. So the differences between the babies as they get older are greater than we might see if we study them at birth. So this is an area of very active research, actually an area that I'm involved in. We're learning a lot about neuroplasticity. And according to the Hebbian theory, cells that fire together wire together. Have you seen any recovery of these infants? Can you put your neuroplasticity to work to recreate normal connections? The educational environment of a child after premature delivery is extremely important in their outcome. And that's probably the best evidence that, yes, indeed, the environment that a child grows up in can change their developmental course. There was a very famous study back in the late 80s and early 90s called the Infant Health and Development Program, and that program sent early interventionists into the homes of children born prematurely and compared those children who got the intervention to those who didn't. Sure enough, the children who got intervention did better than the children who didn't. And actually, the children who did the best among the group were those who were near normal, where the intervention was able to really catapult them closer to the normal range. 
It seems like the environment that a premature child grows up in is really important, literally from the time of birth. What do we have to do now to improve the environmental conditions for children born prematurely? The first thing to recognize is that children born prematurely are not always a random sample among the population, but they tend to cluster in families that are poor, that are of ethnic minorities, and that have many other psychosocial disadvantages. So the first thing we can do is see whether we can provide any social support, financial support, and other support for those families. Once a child's been born prematurely, those families are also really traumatized, and some of their mothers need help to effectively parent their premature child. We can provide that kind of service, a family service that's geared toward both helping the mothers recover and helping the babies develop through early intervention programs that have the opportunity to go into the family's home on a regular basis and teach the parent really good parenting skills for the babies born prematurely. Sometimes those babies are easily overwhelmed by stimulation, and so parents can learn the cues that their child is beginning to get out of control. Sometimes those babies are very withdrawn, and parents have to learn how to bring the baby out to experience the world. So there's a lot of work to be done in the early days. As the children get older, we can also help by enriching their verbal environment. There are programs such as Reach Out and Read, which introduce children to books and to reading and to the rich language that goes along with reading. And children who've had a rich verbal environment, particularly in the toddler years, turn out to have much better language skills than the children who have an impoverished verbal environment. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Heidi Feldman, the Ballinger Swindells Professor of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Today we're discussing improving neurodevelopmental outcomes for children born prematurely. So reach out and read is critical for all children as well as those born prematurely. Are there any other critical interventions that need to be emphasized, need more funding, need to be developed? Where are you looking to the future? We need to do a lot more research to see how to capture the plasticity in the young brain and to assist children to develop in the best way they can. One area where children turn out to have difficulties if they've been born prematurely is in the area of attention and executive function. So attention is the ability to stay on task, to concentrate, to ignore distractors, and to get work done. Executive functions also include the ability to keep information in mind, to organize that information, to plan, and to evaluate what you've done. So children born prematurely are at risk for deficits in executive function, and sometimes those deficits and their attentional skills are so weak that they meet diagnostic criteria for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We can begin to plan and deliver interventions that can help children to build executive functions even in infancy and the early toddler years, so that they'll have a lower probability of difficulty when they reach school age. Could you give us an example of how you would help develop executive functioning in a young toddler? Well, some people think that actually the development of language skills is also important for the development of executive functions because in addition to using language as communication, we use it as a signaling system for ourselves to plan, to stop, to listen, Etc. And another way is to actually go and try and train the children directly to improve their executive functions. So a recent article in Science talks about a curriculum called Tools of the Mind, 
And this, this particular curriculum is delivered in preschools. And what it does is to provide external cues for what you want the child to do so the child doesn't have to remember initially how to listen, how to plan, but can use these cues to help. So, for example, in circle time, the children who are supposed to listen are all holding a picture of an ear, and the child whose turn it is to speak is holding the picture of the mouth. And then when that child's turn is over, the child gets an ear and somebody else gets the mouth. So that's an example of a training program that is very explicitly helping children to control their own behavior in order to develop strong executive functions. I was going to ask you, I'm so glad you brought this up, because your PhD is in developmental psychology, and I was going to ask whether anyone is applying any of the perhaps classical learning techniques or learning theories from psychology to the neurodevelopmental therapy of premature infants, and it sounds like this is sort of a perfect example of that. It is a perfect example. I think in general, the learnings of neuroscience, the ones that you mentioned, the Hebbian theories and connectionist models, are beginning to influence how we teach children, and how we watch their development and their growth. And it's much more optimistic that we can make important changes in children's development based on how we teach them and the environment we provide. You mentioned one of your interests is in brain injury and the recovery from brain injury. Applying these techniques of training, have you seen recovery of children who perhaps had brain injury from intraventricular hemorrhage, or are there other areas, other treatments that you're learning about that can be applied to help with recovery? We know that children who have had damage to the gray matter of the brain, for example, strokes, can show remarkable recovery. Children who have strokes do much better than adults who have comparable strokes. And we know that the gray matter of the brain can take on many different computations or many different functions. So, for example, a child who is born with a severe visual impairment or is blind actually has the visual areas of the brain converted over into auditory processing areas of the brain. And similarly, a child who is deaf may have areas of the brain that would have been destined to be auditory processing areas converted into visual processing areas. So gray matter is capable of taking on many different kinds of functions. We're not as sure about white matter and whether there is experience-dependent change in white matter. There's one study by Heidi Alls in Boston that suggests that the white matter of the brain may change as a function of very early experience of the baby, but that really remains to be seen. What I'm looking at in my research is how children may redesign the activation of brain regions if white matter is damaged. And thus far, we're actually seeing that children even with injuries to the white matter, can function very well if they're given good environments. We haven't yet connected all the dots to see whether or not they're activating different areas of brain than their peers who did not have injuries. I know language development is an area you've been very interested in and recently had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Mitchell Berger, a neurosurgeon from UCSF and a glioma specialist. And they did a study on cortical mapping of language areas on patients prior to undergoing brain surgery for resection of glioma. And they found that there were many areas in the brain that possessed language capability outside of Broca's area. It just seems so exciting that if the brain has these multi-potential areas, maybe we can develop them. And I wonder, is that sort of where you're going with your research? That's exactly right. Other areas of the brain all collaborate with Broca's area in order to create the complex phenomenon of language. 
we can look to how to capitalize on other regions to assure that children who have injuries can be successful in communication and in other developmental domains. I'd like to thank Dr. Heidi Feldman. We've been discussing neurodevelopmental outcomes in premature infants. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I leave you with the words of Dr. Maria Montessori. The work of the child consists of creating the human being that it has to become. The adult works to improve his environment, while the child works to improve himself. I invite you to listen to our on-demand library by visiting us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months of free streaming audio. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. Listen all month as ReachMD-XM-157 presents a special series focused on children's health. To download podcasts of this series, visit us at ReachMD.com.